helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am absolutely positively thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dr. Modir and Jeff Cashew, who will be talking with us about their most wonderful book, The Proudest Color. Dr. Modir and Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Manley. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Ah, thank you. So, Starting in whatever order you like, please tell the listeners and me a little bit more about what makes you, you. It's a great question. So my name is Sheila Modir. I am a pediatric psychologist at a local children's hospital. I um, graduated with my degree in both social work and uh, my PhD in clinical counseling and school psychology. And I've specialized in trauma and understanding racial discrimination across different communities of color, and also did some research on how we transmit or communicate race and racism toward children. So that's a little bit about my research background. My goodness, that is such a beautiful background and a poignant background. I cannot wait to hear more. My goodness, so thank you. Jeff, a little bit about you. Sure, I'm Jeff Casho. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in California. I've worked with people of all ages and backgrounds, plenty with families and children, and have just been uh, really excited to foster child healthy child development through the entire family system. So partnering with Familius on this was a great opportunity. I now work for a mental health tech startup that provides psychiatry and therapy and case management services to people around the country. Excellent. Thank you. I have just a clarification question. So, Dr. Modir, you are also in Southern California. Is that right? Yes. So Jeff and I are actually happily married. We live together um, in Southern California. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> lovely. So we have a married couple with us today. That actually has another lovely layer to the podcast. Thank you for sharing that with me. So yeah. let's dive into, I know we're going to go off on different tangents and I'm really excited to see where this takes us, this journey into discrimination and how to create a better environment for our children, but also for the adults who are modeling for the children. So tell me about the proudest color and how I have a copy in front of me and it is gorgeous. It is mesmerizing. Oh, listeners, I wish you could see it. The beautiful young woman on the front cover with her kitty next to her and then throughout the pages just bring the beauty of color 
and different colors of skin and ways of being to vibrant life before your very eyes. It's, it's gorgeous. So please dive into this with me. <laughs> Thank you so much for that description of the book. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. We enjoyed writing this book, honestly. Um, it's a story about a young girl who really sees and feels in color. We wanted to have an element of emotion identification in the book because emotion literacy is such a big component, building resilience in children. So we incorporated color and vividness into her, into her life and the color that she feels the most proud of is the color brown, which is also the color of her uh, skin tone. And so she, you know, recognizes that it's the first color that people see when they see her and she loves this, her skin color and her um, mom really instills that cultural pride in her. But when she goes to school for the, on the first day of school, she realizes, you know, she's not like the other kids in class. They don't really look like her. And when she experiences um, a very overt experience of discrimination, she really questions her pride in her skin tone. And that's when her parents really step in and help remind her of all the important historical um, figures, political figures, artists, different people in the world and the community that have gone on and done incredible things with in their lives. And they also share her skin tone and varying shades of brown. And she too will one day go on and be able to contribute to this world and is a very important person. So they're reinstilling that racial pride, cultural pride in, in their child. That is such a beautiful and succinct explanation. And if I may, I'd like to read just one of my favorite pages from the book, yeah. because you mentioned emotion identification and emotional literacy. And I'd like to jump off to a description in your words of emotion identification and emotional literacy, just to expand on that a little bit more. But before I do that, here's one of my favorite pages. She says, I feel bright red anger in my cheeks and deep blue sadness in my eyes, but I don't feel brown pride inside my chest. In that moment, I wish I wasn't brown on the outside. And I think that piece is so beautiful and telling and something that can resonate with with anyone who has experienced the sense of not being accepted for who they are particularly their skin color what's your take on that particular piece and how it relates to emotion identification and emotional literacy yeah it was a difficult part of the book to write you know to be able to confront that experience head on in a children's book was a sensitive experience. You know, we recognize that the world isn't quite where we would like it to be with how it is accepting and uh, celebrating of people of different backgrounds and, and skin tones and such. So we wanted to write a really authentic and honest book. And, you know, based on our experiences, especially Sheila's growing up as one of the only children of color in her community in Illinois, you know, we, we were able to feel comfortable that these are experiences we had. These were things that we saw in the literature as well. You know, and we wanted to tie it to color and, and physical sensations for children because we know children of young ages don't really have the, to use, your, to use the term you use, emotional literacy for describing what they're feeling or having a healthy outlet for it. So by sort of seeding this language to parents and children, they can start to create that language around these experiences and describe it. And then once you can name it, then you can start to heal it. 
Absolutely. Once you can name it, you can start to heal it. That reminds me of the, the saying that says you cannot heal that which you cannot feel. Oh, I love that. I like that. Yes. Yeah. And so if I'm hearing you right, for you, the emotional identification or emotion identification is being able to say, I feel, as she did on that page, I feel angry, right? I feel sad. And to be able to do that, so many people, children and adults, aren't able to say, don't know how to identify their emotions and say, I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel blue, right? Mm -hmm. And so this book is really a, a wonderful launching pad for children and adults to be able to learn to to feel their emotions, name their emotions, and thus then express their emotions. Did I get that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can even add another little rhyme in there um, if we're doing that. Uh, Dr. Dan Siegel says, uh, in order to tame your emotions, you have to name your emotions. So that's that's the third one to add to the list of really good ways to remember this. I think the other thing in all of this is to remember that we want children to understand that they can have more than one emotion, right? So in a moment, she can feel sadness and she can feel anger and she could feel the loss of pride. So multiple emotions in one moment can sometimes help explain a very ambiguous situation. And I think oftentimes with with children that are experiencing maybe an overwhelming number of emotions um, and they don't know how to regulate it, that could lead to what we see often in our clinical setting, you know, the tantrums and the outbursts and, and the difficulty with regulating it. So again, we really want to make sure that that emotion literacy is a key component of this book and, and it's something that's talked about. And I think the movie, for example, Inside Out did an excellent job talking about it. I love that movie. <laughs> I love Inside Out. It's such a good job. Yes. And so when you look, if, if you were to define for our listeners, we've talked about emotion identification. Define, please, emotional literacy. Yeah, so emotional literacy is just building the emotion language, right? So that they have that ability to name that emotion. So they can identify it, but do they understand what it is? And can they say like sad, disappointed, frustrated, and the variations in um, the different emotions people feel? I think with younger children too, we like to associate sometimes emotions with colors because it might be really difficult for them in that moment to say, I'm feeling angry, but for them to be able to say, I'm feeling red, you know? So if you are, for example, teaching a child, like something like a feeling thermometer that has the different grades and colors of emotions, you can be able to, to begin linking colors with feelings and feelings with situations that elicit those feelings and then how to regulate it. And then also, you know, we know that children are very expressive through, they are, through their art. They don't know how to really edit themselves like adults do. So they just are, they put themselves in the paper as honestly as and authentically as they can. And we represented that as well through Zahra, the main character in the story, who's a young artist and uh, uses art to express herself in a very healthy and, and productive way. So question for you, then how does emotional literacy lead to emotional intelligence? You know, more overarching concept. Yeah, you know, so the book actually, I think, encompasses that in and of itself. So where Zahra learns to or has the emotional literacy to describe how she's feeling and has multiple avenues to 
describe it and express it. It's then the next piece of, and then what? And that's where we incorporated the, yes, I'm feeling this way, and here's what we're going to do about it. And some of it is through the written word on the page, others through the illustrations that Monica beautifully did by incorporating elements of how she would heal different parts of her emotions, whether through her sidekick, her cat, or with a peer at school, the one who discriminated against her. But in a larger sense, how it leads to emotional intelligence, you know, it goes from once you kind of have the language, right, like you know how to speak English, it's then what do you do with that? And it's being able to also develop that ability for insight and introspection and reflection to say, okay, so I may be feeling angry right now, but what am I really needing or how do I take care of myself best in this moment? Thank you so much for that beautiful explanation, because if I were to encapsulate it, perhaps it's once you learn to describe and express your feelings in healthy ways, and then you're able to use all of that insight to to use your emotions to work for you, to integrate the emotions and then use the emotions to work for you. Did I capture that fairly well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it also allows you to identify it in, in others and recognize sort of what they might be needing, even if they're not able to say it, right? A parent can very much understand a child, what they're going through if the child can't even necessarily explain it sometimes. I really love that. Yes, that piece about how important it is when you're in in the realm of emotions to be able to see them in others and help others identify them. So it becomes quite a circle, doesn't it, of, of yeah. self-understanding and then other understanding. I love that. Switching gears just for a moment. So you both are Middle Eastern Americans and have, I would imagine this really hits home for you on some really important levels outside of your clinical practices. Yeah, I think that for both of us, we've experienced varying levels of discrimination growing up being Middle Eastern American in America and especially in a post 9-11 world where the level of discrimination increased um, tremendously toward this population. So we really wanted to pull from that experience. We were quite, we were younger, not very, not as young as Zahra, obviously, but we were younger and we were navigating a lot of different points of our identity. And, and they always say research is me search. So it was not very su surprising for me to go into studying discrimination experiences of Middle Eastern Americans for my dissertation once I got to my doctorate level. So it's really trying to understand the experience, trying to understand coping skills um, within this population. And and be able to really expand on the literature. So yeah, we we both pulled from that and tried to help create a children's book from experiences very early on for us. Beautiful. Anything to add to that, Jeff? Not much. No, I think Sheila really hit it on the head. Um, you know, our, <laughs> I'd say, you know, it also was part of the impetus for the reason for our book. You know, we wrote it in the wake of George Floyd's murder you know, recognizing that there was a lot of resources for adults to have conversations and to learn and to uh, manage what they were feeling. And at the same time, we wondered, you know, what was out there for children? And we saw this gap on bookshelves where we didn't see a book that could speak to just kind of your brown child, right? A child from Middle Eastern background, from Southeast Asian background, from Latino, you know, uh, Hispanic to 
to Indian or, or whatever. And so we wanted to put a book out there that was very accessible to a broad range of children. Thank you. Thank you. What do you see when it comes to how adults grow from and with children as they are reading a children's book to a child? I'll take this one. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best and then I'll probably turn it over to, to Sheila, who's, who's done a lot of work in this area. You know, that was the other point of why we wrote the book. And at the end of the book, we included a note to caregivers so that they could have some resources for how to have these conversations with children, you know, where children can really relate to a story and characters in them and put themselves it really in the story. Parents are, you know, helping create that space for a child. But with a topic like this, that's very sensitive and sometimes taboo in families of color, you know, there's also a lot of emphasis to assimilate because of the risk of discrimination. We wanted parents to have some resources and understanding for how they can feel comforted and, and confident in having these conversations with their kids. So it, the book kind of sneakily has a dual purpose in there. Absolutely. And I can, I can see that. And then for, for parents who don't have brown skin, what do you think it does for them and their children? Yeah, surprisingly, um, the, a lot of the feedback we've gotten from the book is from people of the Caucasian white community that have reached out to talk about how this was a platform or a tool that they could use to begin the conversation and to be able to talk about people that, you know, might look different from us, but what does that mean for us and what could um, we do if we ever see discrimination occurring? There is research studies that looked at schools that incorporated diversity in their community or in their curriculum and actually found that if you talk about diversity in a school curriculum, children of non-communities of color tend to recognize discrimination more and tend to go to the teacher and say something about it. So really we want to make sure that we are starting to build that in children of all communities, but especially as well in communities of Caucasian and white communities that are maybe understanding some of these things for the first time. And I think that's so important. And as you said, it gives parents, some who don't have a high level of awareness themselves, but want to gain awareness. I think we learn so much when we're reading a book to a child and the child is, they have such wonderful questions for us, don't they? That sometimes turn us, you know, on our head and make us really ponder. And so I think that books like this are so wonderful for beginning the conversation and allowing personal awareness to to build while also allowing children to talk to discuss and to begin to see the world in in different ways that make it discrimination far less likely to occur what do you think <laughs> sorry i didn't realize i didn't catch the question in there <laughs> What do you think about that back and forth of how, I mean, you said that parents were starting to reach out to you. What do you think of books in general, children's book, as a platform for really increasing the parent-child connection and the connection to the greater world? Yeah. 
I mean, I think children's books are an excellent avenue to be able to do this. Um, there are clinical studies even looking at that because it's a communication tool. So whatever the message is that you are trying to pick out for your child or help your child learn, children can readily relate to the character of the book and you can utilize tools like open-ended questions to help elicit perspective taking and help build understanding in the child. And if, you know, I have developed uh, Instagram specifically on, um, identifying books with mental health themes to it uh, called Dr. Sheila's Bookshelf because I realized that when um, there's so many parents that are interested in different books and there's books that I use in my clinic to communicate with my patients that could also be used in the home and there's themes of, you know, how to manage anger, how to build resilience, how to be empathic. These are such big concepts. And sometimes we're like, these are adult concepts, but people have done such a beautiful job writing them in from a child perspective and making it developmentally appropriate. So I do find books to be this magical tool in, in communicating messages. Yeah. And we find that, you know, uh, when parents see that there's a children's book on a topic that they may not have been comfortable talking about with the child, all of a sudden it makes it okay. It makes the parent recognize like, oh, if this is in, ch in a in child-friendly format, then we could, uh, we could actually, uh, you know, have that conversation and then grow together through it. I will say though, sorry, it, not to say that Jeff and I weren't nervous about writing a book like this. There definitely was a lot of thought and anxiety of like, what could this mean? And here we're having a children's book that's really upfront talking about an experience of discrimination. But really as clinicians, we were like, this is the reality that we are in. This is the reality that many children of color are facing. And who better to write this than two therapists who have a lot of have done a lot of education and work on understanding early childhood. Absolutely. You have it in the education, in your personal background, in your clinical experience that really allows you to give the type of life and depth to a book and to call it a children's book, right? It is definitely a children's book, but I also see it as a really wonderful learning tool for adults. And I love how you called children's books you know, in essence, a magical tool of connection mm -hmm. and absolutely connection and exploration and taking both comfortable and uncomfortable subjects, you know, deeper. And so I just love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I, it's such a joy. There is another part of the book that I found it's almost toward the end and it and this is a piece where she's talking our main character and she says even though I might be the only kid with brown skin in this school I am part of a very special box of crayons this box is full of amazing people from all around the world and all throughout history who are brown like me and I I had an, uh, this in, in the one sentence, but it's such a beautiful way to begin to close the book because it's a reminder that even though we might be the only child with brown skin or, you know, a different skin tone or hair color or background, that we are all part of a very special box of crayons, as, as you put it. And without that entire box of crayons, all of the colors, the world is not a very vibrant place, is it? Yeah. No, it, it's absolutely true. And, you know, we, 
it's it's a way for children to recognize too that you know to have more of a world view as well right the majority of the world isn't white caucasian and that there's that kind of comes to a pretty fraught history of colonialism and and such and that's a bigger topic for a child but you know this concept of yeah there's plenty there's numerous there's countless people of color who have gone on to do amazing things whether it's just in a family in a local community or school or on kind of a bigger global stage um, like some of the figures that we put in our book and especially in the end pages and we worked with monica to include in the end pages uh, additional sometimes lesser known global figures um in the kind of art artistic style of zahra that were to, was intentionally there to act as a jumping off point for kids and parents to go, oh, who is this person? I don't know anything about that. And then to learn more about that person, further developing that sense of cultural pride and racial pride and recognizing that, okay, so who's next? Who did they interact with and what else has gone on in the world? I love that you brought that up because I'm staring at the page and there are two names on one of the pages. I won't give them away that stymied me. Of course, there are some recognizable ones like Martin Luther King and Obama, but I won't give away the other ones. That's for our, for our readers to discover. And like you said, use the, the pictures and the names as a launching pad for discovering more about people who have really made a difference in the world. Some despite their color, right, where they were really held back and and used their color and their differences to make a substantial difference in the world so that their lives are remembered today in books like this. It's fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, I'm thinking about the familiar values, which I'm such a fan of, including things like love together, play together, learn together, work together, read together. You know, those are some of the, the core values of familiar. And when you look at your lives and your clinical practice, is are there one or two of those core values that seem to stand out to you, the, you know, the most as far as really weaving a family together in healthy ways? Yeah, I think for our book um, in particular, uh, we also love the familiar values. And I think that's so important, especially as a clinician, because we love when a book points out what they're giving to the audience to read, but we're really hoping that this is a book that families can le uh, learn together to be able to talk together about the topic and then to be able to heal together and be able to um, understand, build that understanding towards resilience. I really love that you mentioned the healing one because it's so important, isn't it? The world is such a um, prickly place sometimes and to be able to use books to heal and heal together. What a gift, isn't it? Just such a gift. So thank you for that. As we prepare to wrap up our, our most wonderful time together, are there any other points that you would like to highlight or emphasize? No, I nothing too much. I mean, we definitely, as Sheila mentioned, there were some uh concerns i guess we had we wanted to be very sensitive about writing a book like this and i just want to reiterate to the audience that what helped us feel comfortable was not just our education and background but also the research on this and we've included uh, citations there and also on our website theproudestcolor.com additional resources for parents um, and literature that they can learn more about this and feel more comfortable talking about it too especially if you happen to be a, a parent uh, who's caucasian and just kind of want to learn how to be a better ally here 
Tyler, we are actually donating our author proceeds to the ACLU and other organizations in um, Southern California that are promoting racial justice, specifically youth-based organizations, because we know that the youth are our future and um, we love to see them continue this work and um, instill these values into others. Thank you. How kind of you, how good of you to be donating the author proceeds. That says so much about who you two are as individuals and as a team. And before I let you go, I have two more questions. So when you talk about it in your book about essentially we're, we're really looking and highlighting, looking at and highlighting discrimination and how children experience it and how it impacts mental health. If parents are concerned about finding developmentally appropriate ways to talk to their children about race and racism, it's Am I correct to assume that the resources that you offer at the end of the book will really help them find the most appropriate way to talk to their children at the right level? Definitely. So the resources are really geared towards children ages five to eight. We know that children as young as six months are able to detect racial differences in people, but really the book is... It could be a launching off point for this discussion for the more elementary school age children. And this is a time when um, on a cognitive level, they are very concrete. And so they understand concepts such as fair and unfair and really framing racial discrimination as something that has been unfair to certain communities. And these are the civil rights heroes and these are the people that have paved the way forward towards equality. Is it really a more um, developmentally appropriate way for a child to be able to understand it? And we're hoping that that's what the book is conveying. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And I think that that's so important just to emphasize for our listeners that if you're concerned that, you know, I'm not really sure how to, to broach this with my child who's of this certain age, that the resources will help guide you so that you don't feel like a fish out of water. And one more question. When you look at the, the phenomenal work you're doing, and a key piece of that is helping children build resilience when you know discrimination is at work having resilience is so key what are one or two important takeaways for parents who say i want to help instill more resilience in my child what might you offer yeah so as a parent it's incredibly important to make sure that you're creating a space for your child to experience emotion to be able to identify their emotions and that means as a parent, you know, having that skill in, in yourself, um, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, everything has to be happy or anxiety free all the time, but developing that internal awareness and resources as a parent is, is crucial because your child is going to be borrowing that from you while they're developing it. Um, and so checking in with yourself, recognizing what do you need? You know, if you don't have this conversation today, that's okay. You can take your time and make sure that you feel a little bit more prepared for it. Also recognizing it's not a one and done conversation. You know, if you don't get it right or your child doesn't feel entirely better right away, that's not a failure by any means. It's a normal, natural process. Um, you know, similar to how we approach grief, as long as it's not hurting someone else or hurting you, it's okay if it takes a little bit of time. It's actually probably better that it does you know, take time, especially for children who are connecting dots and take what they learn maybe in a book or in one setting and then extrapolate it out to other situations in their lives. Mm. 
so important thank you so i really love just to recap that is for the parent to make space for the self and then for the child to experience identify emotions and that really builds resilience and then realizing that building resilience and looking at important issues like discrimination is a process it's not oh, let's sit down and read the book and and now we've now we're all good that it's continuing that conversation those important conversations anything else to add to that that was perfectly said yeah it's because you perfectly stated and i just listened <laughs> so wonderful, you. you were excellent at reframing so <laughs> truly a clinician so i love it <laughs> well thank you and thank you both thank you for this beautiful book your work is extraordinary monica's monica mckay is the illustrator and she did such beautiful work as well and so i thank you both for sharing your very valuable time with me and with us today i am so grateful and as we conclude please would you tell me tell us where our listeners can find you Thank you so much for having us today. Honestly, this has been a wonderful interview and such a great opportunity to be able to delve deeper into the different layers of our book. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Listeners can find us at www.theproudestcolor.com or on Instagram at Dr. Sheila's Bookshelf, especially if they're interested in finding more books with mental health themes for their child. Excellent. And just for those of you who want to jot down our the names of our two wonderful guests, it's Dr. Sheila Modir. Spelling is S-H-E-I-L-A. Modir is capital M-O-D-I-R. And Jeff is Jeff, J-E-F-F, Kashu, K-A-S-H-O-U. So thank you both. It has truly been a, a, a deep pleasure for me. And I thank you both so much for your time and energy. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com where you will find our Habit Hub blog as well as a spectacular selection of books for families such as The Proudest Color, the book we enjoyed talking about today. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier and more gentle place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. We talk together, learn together, play, work, eat together. We laugh together, heal together, and we love forever when we read.